Hello, this is Rich Branson, Editor-in-Chief of Respiratory Care. Welcome to the February 2023 Editor's Commentary and Respiratory Care Podcast. Thanks for joining us. This month's Editor's Choice by Villarreal and colleagues details factors associated with accidental decannulation of the tracheostomy in children. Over a five-year time frame, they performed a case control study of tracheostomy subjects with and without an accidental decannulation event. The majority of subjects were receiving mechanical ventilation and the primary cause of decannulation was self-decannulation. Risks were highest in children who reached midline in the sitting position and those with smaller tracheostomy tube sizes, less than four millimeters internal diameter. Lower staff to patient ratios were associated with more frequent decannulation. Wad and Berlinski provide commentary highlighting the importance of devices to secure a tube, supports for ventilator circuits to take tension off the tube, as well as staff coverage. They also note that mortality in this population following accidental decannulation is low, owing to patient tolerance and effective tube replacement by the staff or family. Capodoro et al. describe a recirculation system to reduce oxygen use during helmet or mass CPAP with a Venturi-based constant flow CPAP generator. This bench study directed exhaled gas through a CO2 absorber and back to the entrainment port of the CPAP generator, allowing a reduction in the set FiO2. They report an 80% reduction in oxygen use over 10 hours using a single soda lime canister. This system also nearly tripled the inspired humidity without the addition of a heated humidifier. Lipnick and others opine that CO2 absorbent is often a more limited resource than oxygen and that high-flow CPAP systems are not always supported by oxygen systems in low- and middle-income countries. They suggest that a system described is better suited in more advanced health systems if oxygen conservation is a priority. Scaramuzzo and co-workers describe the effect of PEEP on respiratory mechanics, ventilation perfusion ratio, and gas exchange in a small group of subjects with COVID-19 and ARDS. At variable PEEP levels, they evaluated data from subjects with low and high compliance, often referred to as the H and L phenotypes of COVID-ARDS. They reported that shunt, low ventilation perfusion, high ventilation perfusion, and alveolar dead space were not significantly influenced on average by PEEP. In the two phenotypes, PEEP had the opposite effects on shunt, with a decrease in phenotype L and an increase in phenotype H. Cortez Puentes and his colleagues, including John Marini and Luciano Gattinoni, provide commentary, expertly reviewing the impact of PEEP on recruitment, cardiac output, and the role of lung elastins. They suggest a best PEEP approach that is personalized for each patient, balancing the time-dependent changes in lung mechanics with gas exchange, while minimizing related PEEP-related complications. Baydorf Cases et al. retrospectively reviewed the medical information MART for Intensive Care for database, often called MIMIC, to estimate the effects of modifying ventilator settings on driving pressure and mechanical power. Specifically, they evaluated adjustments of PEEP, breathing frequency, and tidal volume. They found that reductions in tidal volume resulted in a more pronounced effect on driving pressure and mechanical power and would be the preferred approach to minimize mechanical power. And the previous authors have shown that the tidal volume is about four times more important towards mechanical power than the respiratory rate. As Avito and others contribute a cross-sectional study of subjects with COPD receiving long-term oxygen therapy, evaluating life space mobility. 
Mobility restriction was identified in 90% of participants and was related to exercise capacity and dyspnea. The authors suggest that interventions to reduce these factors should be prioritized to improve patient quality of life. I think going forward, uh, respiratory care practitioners, especially those involved in home care, um, we need to, to reevaluate the idea of home oxygen because we just don't want to send the patient home. We want to send them back to a normal life and getting out of the house and being mobile is key to that goal. Abu Nader et al. performed a retrospective review of respiratory complications in children requiring veno-arterial ECMO for cardiac indications. This single-center trial studied subjects over a five-year time frame evaluating chest radiographs for lobar atelectasis. They found multi-lobar atelectasis occurred in 30% of subjects, primarily in the left lung. They concluded that multilobar atelectasis was common and associated with worse outcomes. Interestingly, in mechanical ventilation for more than 12 hours before ECMO appeared to be protective of the development of atelectasis. Algarni and others described burnout in respiratory therapists working in Saudi Arabia. We published a number of patients about papers about burnout in respiratory therapists in the U.S., um, specifically related to COVID-19. Using a cross-sectional survey of 100 respiratory therapists, they found that respondents reported a very high burnout rate in three domains. 77% reported emotional exhaustion, nearly 100% reported depersonalization, and 73% reported low personal achievement. These findings are similar to the findings in the U.S. The authors recommend further research focusing on techniques and strategies to alleviate burnout. I think at this point, we've published enough papers that burnout is a problem and it's well established. I don't think we'll be publishing more papers about burnout unless they're papers that look at strategies to effectively alleviate this problem. Magdi and Metwally performed a randomized controlled trial on obese subjects receiving either high flow nasal cannula or non-invasive ventilation immediately following extubation. 60 subjects were enrolled in each group. There were no differences in reintubation rates, ICU length of stay, hospital length of stay, or mortality. Reintubation was associated with morbid obesity, comorbidities, greater severity of illness, and hypercapnia. Wu and others performed a randomized trial of 96 infants following cardiac surgery receiving nasal CPAP in either the prone or supine position. Subjects in the prone position had a seven-fold decrease in extubation failure and improved oxygenation. Prone position was also associated with a reduced duration of nasal CPAP treatment and hospital length of stay. Al Sabu performed a retrospective chart review of subjects with spinal muscle atrophy admitted to the pediatric ICU for mechanical ventilation. They evaluated 137 subjects with 300 hospital admissions. Half of the subjects were intubated during their stay and 90% were extubated to NIV on the first attempt. Only 4% received tracheostomy. Invasive ventilation was associated with increased ICU and hospital length of stay. The authors conclude that NIV and aggressive airway clearance can allow management of SMA patients. Malcuck and colleagues retrospectively reviewed subjects who were intubated and required bronchoscopy and tracheostomy during their hospital stay. They evaluated 192 subjects over 16 years and found posterior vocal cord ulcers in 80%. Vocal cord ulcers were associated with a median duration of ventilatory support 50% greater than in those without ulcers. The authors conclude that early tracheostomy might prevent these complications. So this is a study that demonstrates that 
um, vocal cord ulcers are common with the endotracheal tube passing through the cords, but doesn't prove that tracheostomy wouldn't have a similar effect. Dorado and colleagues offer a short report demonstrating that monitoring driving pressure during PEEP titration provides a better method for choosing PEEP than oxygenation in obese subjects. Young and others contribute a short report on analyzing morphologic differences in facial soft tissue of subjects with ALS requiring non-invasive ventilation. Um, this is a technically complex study looking at pressure on the areas of the face. They demonstrate areas of excess pressure and mitigation strategies. Golzer and others offer a short report on the impact of expiratory positive airway pressure device tolerance during high intensity exercise in patients with COPD. Denise Willips contributes a year in review of mechanical insufflation exsufflation, highlighting Sentinel papers published in the last year. Um, we have published a number of papers about mechanical insufflation exsufflation over the last couple of years, um, and it clearly represents an airway clearance technique that's most like our natural airway clearance, which is a cough. Um, and now I think more research needs to be done on how can we use this technique in the intensive care unit. In the hospital and mechanically ventilated patients, it has a well-founded um, use in patients with neuromuscular disease. Um, but determining when and where to use it in the intensive care unit certainly needs to be studied um, with some urgency. We appreciate you listening to the Respiratory Care Podcast um, and hope to hear from you in the future. Thank you. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.